Yeah, uh, to be clear, if you have a baby mama or a baby daddy that's not here, they're definitely invited. Hold just one second there. Hey, let me uh, share two things that just kind of came to my mind. Uh, one I'm forgetting. I'll share the second one first. The first one is, um, uh, yeah, if uh, you may you may notice that we pray a lot here. You know, like before I even got up here, we prayed three times. But, you know, uh, we get this opportunity um, to have... God himself hear what we're saying and we get to speak directly to him. So so if you're thinking, man, we sure do pray a lot. All I can say about that is like, heck yeah, we pray a lot, you know, because that's one of the coolest things that we get to do here. Um, secondly, man, it's such a blessing. And look, if you sit next to me and you sing, I'm not always going to call you out, but it's such a blessing to sit next across from Tori here, you know, because I mean, we're getting some I mean, I'm getting some good stuff here. I just get this idea that God loves it when we sing because it says there's going to be a heavenly chorus and the angels sing his praise all day long. And it says that God inhabits the praise of his people. I mean, God likes it when we sing. And so it's cool to sit next to you, you know, because you're singing and I'm singing. And so that was a lot of fun. Um, Let me let you know something. We are living, you and I, in historic times. Historic times. Because in 2006, I'm going to say this name wrong, 2006, Shiloh Nouvelle was born. Anybody know who that is? She was born. She said to be the most beautiful child ever born. If you said to your child when they were a baby and you held them and you said, you're the most beautiful thing, you were dead wrong, right? Because your child was not the most beautiful thing. Shiloh was the most beautiful child ever born. You know her. I know her as Brangelina. Familiar? 2006, we had Countdown to the World's Most Beautiful Baby. Right? Do you remember that? Um, sadly, um, Shiloh will now have to keep a backpack by the door and, uh, and, and with an extra pair of clothes and a toothbrush. And, and I say sadly, I really mean that, because um, she'll have to go visit Dad on the weekends because Brad and Angelina, I'm sorry if you're just hearing this news and if you need to step out and cry because this is important to you. But they are getting divorced, assuming that all the tabloids are right. Um, so... Um, the big question that I have to ask about them uh, is why on earth do Brad and Angelina get divorced, right? I don't think they have money problems. I think they're doing okay financially. Um, they're both beautiful people, right? Brad Pitt, I mean, he's so witty and funny. You know, you watched Ocean's Eleven. You know, he's so funny. And Angelina Jolie, you remember in Mr. and Mrs. Smith, she made like lamb or something. I mean, she can cook. He's smart. They look good. They got money. Why on earth do these two people get divorced? You see, you seen her in Tomb Raider. She knows how to use a gun. You know, I mean, all kind of cool stuff that she can do. Here is the reality: people don't get divorced because of money problems. Wealthy people get divorced. Poor people get divorced. Comes across the spectrum. People don't get divorced because their spouse got ugly, right? Let me just let you in on a little newsflash here: we're all getting uglier. The older you get, the uglier you get, right? Your skin begins to sag, and, uh, you know, everything begins to change, right? And you just only get uglier with time. There are just a few people in the world who don't get uglier with time, right? And it's like seeing a unicorn when you see one of them. It's so rare, it's almost like it doesn't exist, right? Most of us tend to get uglier. People don't get divorced because their spouse gets uglier, Um what do they cite? I saw this the other day. What do most people cite when they get divorced? Irreconcilable differences. Somebody sent this to me. I can't remember who it was. Um, but uh, it was the idea that most people get divorced because of irreconcilable differences. But who on earth got married and thought that they would be able to reconcile all their differences? Right? 
if you've been married for more than five minutes, that's really funny to you, you know, because there's no way on there. I don't know what's going on over here. This is, uh, well, that's, you got him. You got him. Good. When I, when I get one, it's a moment anyway. Um, let me tell you what happens when people fall off the wagon, when friendships end, when marriages end, when bad things happen. Here's what tends to be the case in any kind of relationship that tends to end is people just decide they would rather be alone than be together. What do people tend to say when they break up, when they get divorced all across the spectrum? They say, well, we just drifted apart. He did his thing and I did my thing and and pretty soon we just kind of drifted apart. People sometimes say he or she was in this place and I was not. And, uh, you know, and and they were doing this and doing that and I was not doing those things. And and we we, we just weren't doing it together anymore. But one way or another, people end the relationships because they're just not in it together anymore. And the reality is you were never meant to do it alone. You were never meant to do it alone uh, in your marriage, in your life. And, and we said you're not meant to do it alone because you have the church. You're not meant to live life alone because you have the Holy Spirit. And lastly, you're not meant to do it alone because you have your spouse. And some of you guys are like, but wait, <laughs> I don't have a spouse, right? And so um, uh, to be clear, I do perform uh, wedding ceremonies, but I don't actually find spouses, you know, so I'm not getting at that. Um, obviously everyone here is not married, but to that, I say, um, I'm not a mother, but we spoke specifically to mothers on mother's day. And many of you are not fathers, but we spoke specifically to fathers on father's day because on mother's day, in addition to moms that are here, we have moms to be and people with moms and daughters of, you know, daughters of moms and friends of moms and all these different kind of people that are that are have relationships with mothers. And if there's one thing that we could stand to have for one another, it is uh, it is some added understanding. And if we can talk specifically to someone and you can understand them a little more and you can understand their struggle a little more, then there's probably a lot of value in that. So here's what you need to know if you're not married today. God ordained before the beginning of time, and I believe this with all my heart, God decided long, long ago, long before you were uh, the apple of your mom's eye or a, or a speck of a thought in her brain or before she existed, He ordained that this is where you would be. And He has a purpose for you. And I don't know what it is, and maybe there's this married couple that you can encourage, or maybe you'll be married or remarried soon, or you have kids who are going to be married, or they're just people around you, someone at work who keeps talking to you about their marriage, and it's just really not going well, and you're like, I got no idea what to say. And maybe some of those things are going on around you. I got no idea why God ordained that you would be here on this day and hear this, but I know for sure that he's got something for you. So here we go. As we walk through it all, here's what I want to jump into. Um, We're not going to use my marriage as the rubric for great marriages, even though I have a great marriage. Um, I've been married for about eight years, almost-ish. Isn't that right? We're we're going on eight, right? Just want to make sure. Um, We're going to use the first marriage in history as our guide. So Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, first ever marriage. It's a good place to jump in because if you believe that, and there's all different schools of thought, but if you believe that all the numbers in the Bible are literal, uh, like the how old people live to be, um, at, we know Adam lived to be over 900 years old, and he spent most of those 900 years married to Eve, and a marriage that spanned centuries is pretty impressive, right? And so we're going to jump in and kind of look at how he made it centuries 
married to Eve. Now, to be clear, for Adam, it was pretty much be married to Eve or not be married because every other available woman in the world was either his daughter or his granddaughter. So, I mean, we'll give him that. You know, he had it a little bit easier. But nonetheless, this is a super long marriage. Genesis chapter 2. I'm going to recap for you. I'm not going to do this every week. Uh, but I'm going to recap for you everything that's happened in the entire Bible up to this point. All right? Um, in the entire Bible up to this point, here's what happened. God created everything. And, uh, and then he put Adam on the earth. And Adam started naming all the animals. And the only other thing that happened in addition to God creating everything and Adam naming animals is God said, there's a tree in the middle of this garden, and you kind of know how all the rest of that ended. And that's all that happened between Genesis chapter 1 and the beginning of Genesis chapter 2. And then we get to Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. We stopped at verse 18 the first week we started kind of talking about this stuff. We start there today. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. If you know much about Hebrew, you know that, that there's an uh, there's a understood ending to that. It says, it is not good for man to be alone all the time. I'm totally kidding. I made that up. Um, but, you know, Adam had a man cave. It was a literal cave, I'm sure. Um, but anyway, it is not good for man to be alone. Not, not just some of the time, right? It is not good for man to try to live life alone. And so he says, here's what I'm going to do for him. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. And I'm not going to pause after every phrase, right? But I am going to pause again. Um, he says, I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. Man, if you want to get uh, an independent woman mad at you, you know, read this passage, right? I will make a helper suitable for him. And I was singing Beyonce this morning, right? She just came to uh, New Orleans, you know, and she's independent and, you know, and all that kind of stuff, right? And, and some, man, that is some of you guys, you profit dollars, mamas who profit dollars, you know, I know that song. Anyway, um, Man, this is a challenging verse. But here's the thing. This is, if this makes anybody mad, it should make the men mad. Because when it says, I'll make a helper suitable for him, this points to uh, Adam's inadequacy, right? Not Eve's sufficiency. God's saying, you've got work to do, and you can't get it all done by yourself. Like, you need someone who can come in and help you get the job done. You see how it's just the total opposite of, of kind of our initial reaction. Adam's got things to do. God has appointed man to do a certain task and to accomplish a certain thing. And he's like, you're struggling to get it done on your own. Now, it's not that this surprised God, but this was a reality that he points out. And so he says, here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send in somebody to help you. And so you guys can kind of do all these things together. Now, verse 19. It says, now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. Uh, this is a real interesting verse to me. Uh, I shared it with my, some of my family this week. But it says, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. This is pretty interesting because uh, when I first read this, does it not kind of look like Adam searched through all the animals, but he just couldn't find a wife, right? And it's a little bit confusing, and I, and I just have to wonder how close we got to, to saying, hi, I'm Adam, and this is my wife, and she's a cheetah, you know, or something like that. Um, I wonder, did he date around, you know, that kind of thing. But anyway, um, j just the opposite of that, what the story is doing the reason it kind of throws this piece in there is the story is building towards this idea 
that nothing on earth, not dog, man's best friend, right, not his boat, nothing that that man tends to love, uh, completes him in the way that his wife will. And it's just building towards this truth that God has designed this perfect mate, this perfect piece to kind of complete him. And that's what the text is building towards. And the idea is that man and woman together are a team unlike anything else. In marriage, in the church, can you imagine a church with all men? Women are like, women are not saying what would happen. They're saying what wouldn't happen. You know, like everything, right? Um, Can you imagine a church with all women? And, 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 and as your mind races to what would happen and wouldn't happen on one side or the other, the one thing that we know for sure is that a lot of good things would not happen and a lot of bad things would happen if we were not kind of doing this together. And so you kind of see this, this, that this thing that God has made has been good, right? Verse 21. So the Lord God, he sees this problem. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, verse 23, by the way, this is interesting. This is the first ever human words recorded in Scripture. So we know that Adam had spoken some words before this, but this is the first ones that we know that he said. Adam meets his wife Eve, and he says, "Um, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. That last verse is just in there to let you know that clearly they were newlyweds, right? Um, We're just going to move on from that. Um, Humor me. We're going to work backwards here. We're going to kind of dig into the back of the passage and work our way forward. But, man, there's so much interesting stuff in here. Look at verse 23. Men, have, did you ever do this? This is how we know that they weren't married yet. They don't get married till verse 24. So verse 23, they're still dating. And we know that because Adam met Eve and he wrote her a poem, right? And once you get married, you don't write poems anymore, you know, but you consider it when you're still dating, you know, because every man knows that once you catch the fish, you don't keep baiting the hook, right? The job's done. Now, that's actually terrible advice. But verse 24 We go from kind of this, he meets Eve, and then we kind of move into this idea of marriage. And the first thing that verse 24 points out to us very, very clearly is that with our spouse, we are supposed to be united. It says, leave your father and mother and be united to your spouse. If you you read a different version of this, it says, leave your father and mother and cleave to your spouse. And uh, and so that's probably more of a literal translation. But it's... uh, to, to really get the idea of what he means by being united, I want to kind of jump in. Anytime we want to really get to exactly what the author means, we kind of pull out the word that is the most intriguing, and this one being united, and we say, what does this author mean when he says the word united? Because it's sort of like my 80-year-old grandma. I really have no idea how old my grandma is, but um, my old grandma, um, she says, if she says, oh, it's cool in here, she means it's cold. But if I say, if you show me something that looks really neat, I'm like, oh, that's super cool, right? And so it, the way we use the word is different. And so if we want to know exactly what the author of Genesis means, we, we got to look through and say, how does he use this word? Like, what does it mean to him when he says that someone is united? So this author, four times in the book of Genesis, he uses this exact word. So he uses the Hebrew word that we translate into united here. Here's what it means every time. Twice, he uses the word in in terms of a military sense. And so it's either in in pursuing refuge or in pursuing the enemy. 
uh, once he uses it in a real weird story in Genesis chapter 34. In Genesis 34, there's this guy who wants this woman to marry him, and he goes about it in every possible wrong way you could imagine. And then after he does that, then it says, then he began to pursue her and speak tenderly to her. And then the fourth time is obviously this time here. And so I think you kind of get the idea that to be united with someone is to pursue them. This man wanted this woman to marry her, marry him, and so he pursued her. These people were in battle, and so they pursued the hills because that was the place they could get away. These other people were in battle, and they pursued the enemy so that they could overtake them, right? And so the idea of being united is this idea of pursuing someone. Um, it's pretty interesting. Mark chapter 10 kind of quotes this passage, and he, he says it a little bit different. And the word that he uses in the Greek is, is, is when he says be united or the way that he says it. He, his word kind of means glued, right? You, you leave your father and mother, and you're glued to one another. And so the idea in the Scripture is that when you're united to one another, you are glued together, and you're actively seeking to stay glued, And when he says united, this is what he's pointing to. And if I'm right, all the men in the room, when they heard glued, kind of cringed a little bit, right? Because that sounds just a little bit scary to be glued to your spouse. Um, Here's the truth. You're not alone. Uh, you, You need some space. I need some space. We all need some space every now and then. But here's the idea. Some people get married. And we tend to do all the, at least after a little while, we tend to do all the necessary things together, you know. It's more economical for one person to cook and us all eat at the same time. You know, we do those kind of things together or or some things like that. But all the extra stuff, all the optional things, we do separate. Separate TV shows, separate hobbies, separate jobs, sometimes that's a necessity, separate living spaces, separate friends. um, and, And everything that is not essential tends to be separate. And the idea in Scripture is not that you spend every waking moment together, but that you live life together. And you are actively pursuing one another rather than doing just what you must do together and then pursuing everything but one another in your free time. Um, There's another idea that that even when you're not together, you're really together. When Jess and I got married, we had this um, this marital counseling. I think I've shared it with you before, but but we didn't really go to counseling. This guy just gave us a VHS, and lucky for me, I still had a VHS player at the time. When he, you know, eight years ago, they were kind of phasing out. But we had this VHS tape, and we plugged it in. It was this guy with these glasses on, this video from like the 80s, and uh, and and one thing he said stuck with me and still sticks with me. But he said uh, he said, husbands in your marriage have eyes for your wife only. And so the idea kind of is, even when you're not with your spouse, you're not with anyone else. And you're not physically with anyone else, and you're not mentally with anyone else, and your brain is not going anywhere else. And the idea is, whether I'm with my spouse or I'm not with my spouse, I'm only with my spouse. And the idea is that we are being glued together, and we are pursuing one another. You know, you know whether you're dating or you're married, you know the hardest time in the world to cheat on your spouse? When you're together, right? That kind of thing just doesn't happen, right? And so when you are together, it is really hard to do that. And some of you may be thinking, you're talking about all this time together, but when I was married or now that I am married, and and you don't want to look around too much when you say this, but you're like me and my spouse, we just didn't really get along, didn't like the same things, didn't do the same things, and that's just, so it was hard to spend a heck of a lot of time together. And that's a reality, right? And, And what I would say to you is, Pray that you would begin to enjoy one another. 
know what God says? You know what the Psalms say? They say, um, they say you were meant to be married and you were meant to enjoy one another. If you are married, you are meant to enjoy one another. It's not just something that some people get to have and some people suffer through marriage. It says you are meant to enjoy your spouse. And if you're not, pray that you would. And if you're not, it's probably a result of sin or selfishness on, on one of your part or both of your parts. You are not meant to be married and to be miserable, but you are meant to be married. The other part that makes you cringe a little bit, the glue part makes you cringe, but the pursuit part makes you cringe, right? The one thing I can say for sure to men and and probably also to women is that if you don't pursue your spouse, and even if you do, someone else will at some point in time. And I want to live in such a way that I am always pursuing harder than anybody else. If I can be honest, and Jess knows this um, about me, and hopefully she wouldn't share this with you. She would just, you know, let me, um, let me just lie to myself about it. But this is a part that I'm going to struggle with, right? And, and the reason that I'm going to struggle sometimes is not because I don't love Jess, right? It's because I pursue a lot of things, you know? And sometimes, you know, I'm pursuing being a good father and sometimes, and that's not the one I'm going to drop, right? But I'm pursuing a lot of different things. And sometimes it's God's calling to me to not pursue quite so much and to make sure that I pursue my wife. And man, that pursuit part can be tough because you thought when I got married, I locked that up and then I moved on to something else. But the idea is that you continue to pursue the rest of your life. And then we continue to work backwards. And here's the big idea. The original design of marriage, right, is that you pursue one another, you stick with one another, and then you begin to thrive. And I don't love that word, but I couldn't think of anything that much better. But I think that really is the idea. God gave Adam and Eve, he gave them all these things, and he said, these are the things that I'm calling you to do, right? I'm calling you to, to fill the earth. I'm calling you to, to do work. I'm calling you to, to, to constantly be in worship. I'm calling you to do a heck of a lot of things, and you can't do them by, their, by yourself, but together you can absolutely get them done. And the idea is that sticking and staying is not about sitting and staring at one another. You know, it's not like this this movie kind of love. That's not what we're talking about. But it's about accomplishing things together. And some of us are so bogged down and just trying to stick that we never actually get around to thriving. Here's what I think thriving is. I think thriving is if you have children, thriving is parenting together, Right? not parenting to the exclusion of one another, with a plan, raising up Jesus followers that work hard, invest in the church, care for their families, right? And saying that is our, that is what we are doing together. And we're working towards the same thing in that. I think that's thriving. I think thriving is ministering together, you know? reaching your neighbors together, reaching your families together. I think it's going on mission trips together. I think it's finding a young couple and investing in them and helping them avoid some of the crazy mistakes that you made. I think it's worshiping together. I think it's all that stuff. I think thriving is holding one another up. And I think that's a big one. I think thriving is knowing that when you come to your spouse, your spouse is not going to be an added weight, but instead your spouse is going to get under the weight and help you lift it up. And I think that is thriving in your marriage. I know that that is what God called you to do. And he didn't call you to barely stick. Here's what I know. If you're married, 
you weren't meant to do any of those things by yourself. And you certainly weren't meant to try to figure out your marriage all by yourself. You were never meant to do it alone. If you're not married, here's what I know. God may or may not be calling you to be married. And I hope that you have never thought this, um, but you are absolutely no less because you're not married. Scripture tells us that you're not made complete in your spouse, right? You are made complete in Christ. And so whatever you lack, He makes you complete. So for whatever God does or doesn't have for you in your future, for right now, He's called you to be single. And, And I would tell you this, if you're seeking a spouse, seek Him more, and He'll provide for you exactly what you need. And I absolutely know that to be true. Married people, I know this for you. I know that you are meant to be married. I know that you're not meant to be eternally unhappy, though every now and then in short stints you will be unhappy, and that doesn't mean the sky is falling. And I know that you're meant to be married, and you're meant to be enjoying it. And I know that for sure. So here's what I would say to you. Pursue your spouse. Pursue them and stick to them. And if you've ever sat around and said, I wonder what God's will is for me. Like, I wonder what it really is, what he's really calling me to do. I'll say to you that absolutely this is it. And pursuing your spouse and enjoying your spouse is absolutely what God is calling you to do. God, we praise you for the gift of a spouse. And for those of us that you have called to be married, we praise you for for what you have created in marriage. And God, we pray that as you've called us to do that, and we pray that as you've called us to, to, to minister together and to parent together and all those things you've called us to do together, God, I pray that we would be about those things and that we would start that by just pursuing one another as we pursue you. In the same breath, I pray for, for, for those here that aren't married. And God, I know that you have a specific, unique design and purpose. I think about Paul traveling around the world and doing things that no married man could do, right? Because, because that's where you've called him to be and that's what you've called him to do. And God, I pray that where you've placed us in life, that we would just pursue you and seek to do that to the best that we can in the way that you've gifted us and called us and set us apart. And I praise you just that you inhabit the praise of your people and that when we seek after you, God, you bring good things about in our lives. God, we praise you for this communion that we're about to take. And I pray that even now as we come forward and we consider your, your body and your blood and all those things that you did for us, God, I pray that, that, that the things that you've put on our mind this morning, the things that you've said, go now and do this, God, that we would not quickly forget those things, but we would take this time to say, God, how can I actually begin to live this out? And God, I pray for my spouse too, that they would come and say the exact same things to me. And I praise you for who you are, Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen.